You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Banner Monday coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust, but that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, you probably don't really need to use SeatGeek right now for IUNIT tickets because you can get them for 20 bucks uh, from Indiana. But if you're going to go to any of the NCAA tournament locations, and there are first and second round locations in Jacksonville, uh, Columbia, South Carolina, Salt Lake City, Utah, San Jose, California, Hartford, Connecticut, Columbus, Ohio, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Des Moines, Iowa, as well as regionals in Louisville, Anaheim, Washington, D.C., Kansas City, and then the Final Four in Minneapolis, SeatGeek has tons of tickets for all of those sites. So consider using SeatGeek if you're going to get NCAA tournament tickets. And obviously, if Indiana makes it to New York, then you may need to use SeatGeek uh, to get your tickets to those NIT games as well. But the reason why you want to use SeatGeek is because it's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites. They grade every ticket based on value. And SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget because they do that. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the app on my phone. I use it. That's why I feel comfortable recommending it to you. It's really a great app, a great service, and that's why you should use it. And best of all, listeners to the Assembly Call get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now, here's this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. This is the 20th edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 500th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, March 18th, 2019. That can't I'm your be host. True. What'd you say? I said that can't be true. We've done this 500 times. 500 episodes. <laughs> yes, we have. Uh, All right, let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Who's Your Proud Banner moment. And we just endured our third straight selection Sunday in which the Hoosiers did not hear their name called when the NCAA tournament bracket was revealed. Clearly, that was the anti-banner moment of the week, and there's really no way to sugarcoat it as anything other than a massive and unacceptable disappointment. Given the resources, the recruiting base, and the tradition of Indiana basketball, there is no good excuse for this program having two stretches over the course of a decade in which it misses three straight NCAA tournaments. Yet here we are. The Hoosiers missed the tournament each season from 2009 to 2011 and have now missed it each season from 2017 through 2019. Add in 2014, and the Hoosiers have made just four of the last 11 NCAA tournaments. Since 2004, Indiana has played in just seven of the last 16 NCAA tournaments. 
this is what we've become. This is what we are, at least right now, a program that for the better part of the last two decades is more likely to miss the NCAA tournament than make it. When I was a kid, out in the driveway, pretending to be Jay Edwards and Calvert Chaney and Brian Evans, if you had told me this is what Indiana basketball would one day become, I'd never have believed you. With all that said, this segment is the banner moment, and that means it's my job to find something positive to grasp onto, even on this most depressing of March Mondays. And here's what I've got. It's not much, but I do believe that it's something. As disappointing as the spot in the NIT is, even with a number one seed to soften the blow, the fact is that it does represent some progress over the previous two seasons. It's not nearly enough progress. It's not the progress we all reasonably expected, but it's something. In 2017, we chose to run with our tail between our legs to Georgia Tech because we were too chicken blank to host an NIT game. Last season, even being 500 in the Big Ten didn't get us so much as an NIT berth. This year, even though we didn't make the NCAA tournament, we were at least in the discussion, and we earned a berth in the NIT, so we'll at least get some postseason tournament play. It's progress. Maddeningly and glacially slow, but progress nonetheless. And while legitimate questions abound about how this program can dream of being better next season while replacing its two top scorers, those are questions for the offseason, and we'll spend lots of time on them. For now... I'll just focus on the NIT and take the smallest bit of solace in the fact that we at least took a tiny step forward this season. Like I said, it's not much, but right now, it's about all we've got. All right, joining me, you already heard his voice for today's mailbag. He is back. He won't be here for the NIT shows. He's shutting it down. He just can't possibly jeopardize his future to do NIT postgame shows. That's not true. If they go far (laughs) enough, I'll be back. I know. I just I had to I had to go there. I know. I know. Uh, it's Ryan Phillips. What are you? Uh, what are your opening statements? Well, you're all sunshine and rainbows today. Uh, I mean, I feel like that's about as sunshiny no, and rainbow as you, as you could be right fa- now. Completely fair. And I and I, I posted it last night. Do I think Indiana right now, the way they're playing, could beat a lot of the teams that got in, uh, sort of on the bubble ahead of them, like Arizona State, St. John's, uh, Belmont. Yeah, I think Indiana could beat those teams, but flat out, Indiana didn't do enough to earn it. So there's no complaints. I mean, it, it's you can stack up resumes and say they played in the toughest conference in the country by far, but they didn't do enough. They just didn't. And the sad part is if they win one of those other games, they get in. There's no question about that. They win one more game this season, wherever. If it was the Arkansas tip-in, doesn't go a millimeter the other way, and they don't call that awful foul on Deron Davis, they get, they're in. If, uh, you know, Northwestern, if a guy who made six, th- six out of seven threes against them doesn't do that that day, and then, by the way, didn't really make many shots the rest of the season, doesn't do that that day, they're in. I mean, there's so many what-ifs with this team, but I think that the point of this season has to be, whether you're complaining about them getting in or not, is you can't put yourself in that situation. You can't put yourself in a situation where you're saying, what if about one game here, or one game there, the body of your season has to be better than that. And I think we all knew that. I mean, I think Indiana fans for the most part all knew that this, this was a struggle this season. And whether in there, there were, you know, we've gone over it a bunch and people blame the coaches, people blame the players for not trying all this. There's a million reasons why this season went the way it it did specifically when it did. And it went downhill in that losing 12 out of 13. There's a million reasons for that. Uh, I, I would say injuries had a lot to do with it. I would say that, you know, some coaching decisions had a lot to do with it. And I would say some of the guys not really being fully bought in under a new coach had a lot to do with it. Now, do you blame the players or the coach for that? That's a chicken and egg thing to me. Um, I, I, but I think that there are a lot of reasons this season went off the rails. And, and it, 
what I would say to people out there who are worried about the state of Indiana basketball, and I, I am too. I mean, I missing the tournament three years in a row is unforgivable. It really is. But what I would say about people who are worried about the the direction of Indiana basketball is I would say, really, I know this sucks to hear it, but it's not about now that it's happened and this has happened. It's not about how they how you know they got here. It's about how they respond to it. Does this team come out? Does this coaching staff come out in the NIT and look at it as, okay, this is an opportunity to do something. It's an opportunity to get these young guys a lot of playing time. It's, a, it's more practice time. It's a chance to uh, sort of build momentum for next year. And you could say, uh, I, I saw somebody on Twitter saying the NIT is a loser's tournament and all this stuff. It's like, oh, shut up. It's, it's for the teams that were on the bubble that didn't get in for whatever reason. Indiana was firmly in the mix. I think more than a lot of people expected. They were in the first four out. I mean, some of the high-level bracketologists all thought Indiana was right there. I think a lot of the fan base said there's no way they're getting in, and they were clearly right there in the mix with everybody who got in on the bubble. So I would say, look, it's not where we want to be. It's not where the players want to be. It's not where the coaches want to be. But it's a chance to do some damage. It's a chance to win some games. It's a chance to continue to play together. It's a chance to see Romeo Lankford play more in college. Um, and yeah, so I and it's see Juwan Morgan play a few more games. Uh, I would say it, it really what should be a determining factor for you is how does this team come out on Tuesday night? Do they come out looking at this as an opportunity and attacking and uh, being focused and being into this? If so, I feel better about this season and I feel better about the direction of the program. If they mail it in, yeah, then I'm going to start talking about some concerns because this is an opportunity for these guys. And it's an opportunity for guys like Rob Finnessy specifically. It's an opportunity for a guy like Devontae Green to show some leadership, a guy like Deron Davis to get out there and play more, uh, a, a guy like Race Thompson to get on the floor and play more, a guy, you know, some of these backup guys, Jake Forrester, whoever else, to get out there and mix it up and, and get some more experience. And they should look at that and, and be excited about that. A guy like Zach McRoberts to get out there and do some more Zach McRoberts things. Um, it's you know these are these are chances for these these guys to do something. Um, you know, I, I, and if you ask uh, somebody, somebody asked me once, it's like, would you rather barely get into the NCAA tournament or win the NIT to end your season, and barely get into the NCAA tournament and lose in a play-in game, or go win the NIT? I'd say win the NIT. Because, yeah, you want to get into the NCAA tournament, but if you're out in one round. Now, again, the balance of lose a playing game or lose in the first round or second round of the NIT, obviously you take the NCAA tournament. But if you can win something and build on that and you know do some damage there, uh, I think that that's a positive development. Get to play at Madison Square Garden. Some of those things, I mean, that, that's, that's a positive development for the program. So we're not where we want to be. Nobody is. This isn't a sunshine and rainbows, as I said, show. But at the same time, there is an opportunity to do something here and do something positive and build toward towards next year when you're going to have a group of different players in there. And as I've said since before the season started, I thought next year would be better than this year. Uh, and I still believe that. All right. On tap, uh, we'll obviously answer your questions here the rest of this segment. I'm fairly certain Mike DeCourcy will be here. I haven't heard from him today, but he's always very reliable. So I'm pretty sure that he will be here. And then I'll take a look ahead to Indiana's game against St. Francis, which is coming up tomorrow. So let's hop into some of these questions. Ryan, you mentioned it's a chance to see Romeo Langford play. Romeo Langford said after the Ohio State game that if Indiana didn't make the NCAA tournament and was selected for the NIT, that he would play. Archie Miller had a media availability today 
and that is still the plan. But Romeo is dealing with some back issues. He tweaked yeah, his back in the Ohio I, State game. And you could see it in the game. He pulled up a little. Yeah. And so, you know, the basic sentiment from Archie is that, you know, Romeo is not shutting anything down, but he is day to day with his back. So we don't know yet if he will play. Sounds like it'll be a game time decision. The question that we got from Wes, Brian, is would you understand if Romeo opted not to play? Not saying he would opt out, but would you understand? Obviously, an injury changes it a little bit. Yeah, that, that, that changes the dynamic. But how do you generally feel about that when he's projected uh, still as a lottery pick or at least a first round pick? If he's a top 10 pick, yeah, I get it. Um, I, I'm not saying I would. I'm not saying anybody should do this or whatever, but I, I understand it. You're protecting your value, and, and I get it. And Arkansas, it just got announced today, at Arkansas star. Uh, I forget his name off the top of my head. but Daniel Gafford. Yeah, Gafford. He's going to sit out. And I get that. I, I understand that. Um, but... Does, does you know is that what I would recommend? Is that what I would do? No, because I think the NBA also wants to see you be competitive. But you're protecting yourself against an injury. Um, that's that's all. It's not I'm checking out to go work out and focus on the NBA. You're protecting yourself against an injury, and that's protecting your value. And look, when you're talking about millions of millions of dollars, I get it. You, you protect yourself. In a, I was one of those people who, when Zion Williamson hurt his knee, said, Look, if he sits out, I get it. He's going to be a top three pick. He's got to protect his value. If his knee, if there's a possibility of him re-injuring it or it getting worse, he needs to sit down and worry about his family. Um, I, I agree with all of that. Um, that said, it's encouraging to see Romeo Langford wants to play. And and uh, I did see him grab his back a little bit in the Ohio State game. Uh, that was concerning. Uh, and yeah, I, I think he especially should you know, monitor that and take care of himself. Because again, look, we knew we were going to get Romeo for one year. You knew his goal was to be a lottery pick, a top 10 pick. And, you know, he, he that's life-changing money. That's a life-changing situation. And he needs to protect that at all costs. I agree. I think most of the people within the program would agree with that as well. I think Archie would agree with that. But they want him to play, obviously. If he's healthy and he wants to play and he's gung-ho about it, then boom, we're not going to argue you against it. But if you checked out at this point uh, to protect yourself, I, I, I understand because we're talking about millions of dollars. here. We're, we're not talking about, you know, uh, going to play in Poland or something. You know, this is this is millions of dollars in life changing money. So, of course, you've got to always be mindful of that. Yeah, I agree. I, I would understand. But, you know, I would also understand. if he I wouldn't chose... be happy about it, but I right, get it. Right. You know? And I, I would certainly. I suppose there's a part of me that would respect him more and appreciate it more if he did play. You know, that's just natural. But I would understand it. And I certainly don't think it's a thing where, like, you have to do this, that, or the other. Like, it's his choice. And if he wants to be there for his teammates, he wants to play. I would say when it comes to an injury, I would kind of treat it as if we're in November. You know, where it's like, it, you know... You wouldn't really, you know, you wouldn't risk You're not going to force it. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't force it out there like you might if it's like a game to win the Big Ten title. You know, like and I, I would get that, that kind sure. of sliding scale on how you would deal with an injury. Well, and um, we might get a situation where he doesn't play in the first game and plays in the yeah. second game. His back's bothering him. And you have to understand that. You, yep. you know, I mean, it's it's also comes down to effectiveness. How effective can he be with a back injury? We've we've taught you know, and again, it's just it seems it sounds like it's just a strain. It's not anything major. It's not a disc problem or anything like that. Um, but you know, it, it, is he able to get warmed up? Is he able to get stretched out? Is he able to get it going? And uh, are there spasms, things like that? And and so look, Indiana's got to figure out a way to play without him if they can't. Uh, and 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 again, if he's injured, he, Romeo said he's going to play. 
So it, if he sits out, it's because of the injury, not because he's shutting it down for the NCAA turn, the, for yeah. the NBA. All right, question from Jeff. What are the chances one or more players will transfer out of the program and who would be the most likely candidates? So we are not going to speculate on names, obviously. We, and but by the is, way, we never speculate on transfers. We never do. No, but, but it is perfectly fair to speculate about the bigger question of will there be transfers? And as we've said all along, number one, it's very common in college basketball. Even at the most stable of programs, they have transfers. Yes. Um, and it's especially common after poor seasons and when you you're you when you have a new coach that is yeah. with guys that he didn't recruit so we're not going to name names here's what i would say tell me if you agree with this ryan is if you're kind of looking at the profile for the type of guy that might transfer like what causes players to transfer at any school dissatisfaction with their role maybe they went to a school that's far away from home you know maybe they don't see eye to eye with the coach especially if they weren't recruited by that coach if you see you know, so if you're if you're trying to look at who are the most likely candidates, if you find guys who fit one or more of those characteristics and maybe others, then they would probably be the betting favorites. You know, but yeah. that it's, doesn't it's, mean that you know that you would necessarily want to pinpoint and say any one guy is more likely. But that those types of guys would fit the profile for who might. Yeah, transfer. it's it, okay. Number one is going to be playing time. That's yes. that's number one is playing time. Guys don't go to college to sit on the bench, so playing time is number one. Uh, two system fit. Three, just personality clash with the coaches. Um, you know, and I'd say four is if you came in to play for a different coach, maybe you gave it a shot with the new one and it just doesn't work out. We saw that with Curtis Jones last year. He came in and what he was doing for Archie just didn't, they didn't line up together. Um, so I would say that that is the big deal. Now, the other factor we've got to look at in, when we're thinking of transfers is transfers coming in. And a lot of people I have talked to and I've heard whispers about think there are going to be at least one transfer coming in. And there's a specific type of player that Indiana is looking at. And I'll give you one one guess, Jared, what that is. A shooter. There you go. You <laughs> got it, buddy. Um, I would say a shooter and a big man, if you're going to get a transfer, would be the two. If you're going to get more than one, I would say that, you know, a, a, and not even a starting big man, like a guy who can come in and play defense if Deron Davis gets hurt or Trace Jackson Davis gets in foul trouble like all freshmen do. You know, I mean, there's certain balances there. Uh, I do think there will be transfers out. I, I don't think we will have any major transfers out. Um, I, I don't think there will be anybody who you say, oh, man, we really needed him and he leaves. I, I don't think that'll happen. Um, but I think there will be movement. And, and I think that, again, in college basketball these days, with the ability, with the transfer portal, with guys being able to like go into the transfer portal, explore opportunities, you know, you're basically become a recruit again, and then you can come back. Um, I think that you'll see several guys, uh, at least more, more than one guy, explore that at least. And I think you'll see some transfers. Um, and, and I think mostly it'll be minutes and system fit. I think those are the two uh, big ones. Yeah, I would be surprised if there weren't at least one transfer out and at least one transfer in. I would not be shocked if there were more than two transfers out and more than Is two India, transfers Where's in. Indiana at with the scholarships? With two coming in, two we have going one right now. I mean, assuming Romeo leaves, then there's Romeo one. and Juwan are gone. one open, and Fitzner's gone. And Fitzner's gone. I, always, I forgot yeah, about And Fitzner. Zach yes. wasn't on scholarship. So, so three gone. Assuming Romeo leaves, you got two coming in, so you have one open. One right. open right now. Yeah. So if someone decides to transfer, then you'd have two open. And on yeah. down the line. So uh, but yeah, I would look for if Indiana's gonna go out on the market, they're gonna look for a shooter. And and uh I think um there are some pretty 
market there there's some guys who are who are able to market that skill on the transfer market who would be very interested in indiana anybody bring your shooters we need we need shooting Come to Bloomington. Okay, uh, this question from Sally. I'm seeing a lot of comments and posts about the schedule being too tough this year, that had we had an easier schedule, we would have a better record and would be in the NCAA tournament. I don't get this because we did great until the conference season started. It seems to me had we won the games we should have Northwestern Nebraska, we would have been fine. So I want to address this on two levels. The first level is the exact level that Archie Miller addressed it today. He said, our scheduling wasn't the problem. Winning the games we needed to win was our problem. He's exactly right. This schedule was not too tough for Indiana to navigate, you know, if they did the things that they needed to do to make the NCAA tournament. Where that discussion is coming in is about how the selection committee looked at resumes. How much your schedule Right, mattered. and what hypothetically could have changed. Like, legitimately, you know, you were talking earlier about things that could have been different. If there was no Big Ten tournament and Indiana ended the season at 17 and 14 without a 15th loss, they might have made the tournament. Because if there wasn't a 20 game Big Ten yeah, schedule. Because, yeah. Another, if, right. Indiana, if Indiana gets two easy buy games uh, right. against 200 level teams and has two more wins, um, you know, I, I mean, that's, yeah. So, so that's why that conversation is happening. It's a reaction to what the selection committee said. But it's also important, and we talked about this on our Selection Sunday special last night, it's important not to knee-jerk react to that. No. Because sometimes the committee has placed a premium on the schedule and who you played, and even if you had more losses, that wasn't as big of a deal. This selection committee just did it a little bit differently. So that schedule talk is not about something Indiana you know, necessarily should have done differently. It's just, well, wow, in hindsight, if we just figured out how to only have 13 losses, we would have made the tournament with all else being equal. That's why people are having that conversation. So, and it doesn't sound like Archie, you know, Archie is a smart, methodical guy. He'll take that into consideration as they're putting together next year's schedule. Um, but I think he's exactly right when it comes to, given all of that, Indiana still just needed to navigate its own schedule better, win the games it could have won, and it would have been in the NCAA tournament no matter what. And that's what yeah. you need. You need to create an NCAA tournament resume that is immune to the whims of the selection committee. You put yourself on the bubble, you get what you deserve, and that's whatever the selection committee decides to reward. So it's yeah, out of your hands I, at that point. I think uh, I think that's a fair assessment, and I think that it's fair to also look at um, to look at the fact that yeah, this year changed with the Big Ten schedule, and I mentioned that before. And and having twenty games, if you take two of those away and you give Indiana two out of conference games, now they'd be playing weak teams. But it seemed like the committee really valued the number of losses negatively. And if you had a lot of losses, didn't matter who you played, you had a lot of losses, you're out. And, and that's fair enough. I, I don't, you know, I don't think, again, we're not sitting here as, as Indiana fans. We have no right to sit here and complain. It's just questioning the methodology and what Indiana needs to do in the future right. to sort of get in there. But again, if you play the right way, you shouldn't be on the bubble anyway, if you're Indiana. I mean, quite frankly. So I, I really think that it's, it's, it's splitting hairs at this point. The goal is to never be on the bubble anyway. Exactly. Uh, this question comes from John. Did Coach Miller put pull all the right strings and get every player ready to compete in every game this year? Was Archie tough enough, or did all the injuries leave him without weapons? This has been a subject that we've talked about a lot at different points in the season. I feel like it's something that we'll probably reflect on a lot in the offseason. And I get the feeling, and this is totally just kind of parsing some public comments, that 
Archie maybe feels like he could have done something a little bit differently in this regard, you know, when he kind of reflected on how you first started to see some slippage in that Nebraska game, but we didn't hear about the drastic changes talk until the Minnesota game. Right. Now, what that coincided with, of course, was getting a more full bench. And my hypothesis here, and get your take on it, is that, you know, Archie was so concerned with winning every individual game that more so this year than last year, he was willing to overlook some things and keep guys in games with the feeling of, I think, let's keep our better players out there, keep the most talented yep. guys out there so we can win this game. And unfortunately, not only did we lose, it allowed some bad habits to fester Agreed. that kind of built on themselves. After the Minnesota game, when he was finally fed up enough and the injuries weren't as much of a concern, you could use the bench more for guys like Justin Smith and Devontae Green, and it seemed to have some positive impact there at the end. Now, if he had done it earlier, does it have a big impact? We'll never know. But I kind of wonder if he even questions that a little bit just based on some of the comments he's made. I know I do. I would love to see what the season would look like if he had done what it felt like he did more of his first year, which was draw a more hard line with that stuff. But this year, he didn't, maybe because of the pressure to win with Romeo Langford. Who knows why? But it'll be interesting to see how he responds to that in the seasons to come. Yeah, I think that it's a, li- it's a learning experience for Archie, especially handling this kind of talent. Uh, which he hasn't really before, and how to you know, you know, balance certain things, especially with a younger roster. This was a very young team. People forget that because Jawan Morgan was a senior, um, and you know Zach McRoberts was an effective player early in the. You know, I mean, was was thought to be an effective player coming into the year as a senior, and people, you know, look at Devonte Green and say he's a junior. But if you look at this roster top to bottom, it's an extremely young roster, and that needs to be something that he develops his ability to deal with a young roster and how he plays them out and how he parses out those minutes and how he, you know, deals with guys who maybe aren't having their best game. Sometimes you just don't have your best game and your best spot on the floor is on the bench. And, and and it's, you know, that just, that happens to guys. It happened to Justin Smith a few times this year where no, he was most effective sitting down and, and, uh, and other guys too, but he's a guy who jumps out at me. Uh, during that losing streak is really not playing up to his potential. And sometimes that's less punitive as a, you're not playing while sit on the bench. It's sometimes it's, Hey, sit here and watch the game for a bit from another angle and see if you can figure something out that maybe, you know, opens up your eyes to the way to play right. And the way you should be attacking. Uh, I I think that the encouraging thing from Archie is that when he said there was going to be drastic changes and there were going to be those, those uh, tweaks to what they were doing, it worked. Um, they played, they lost two close games and then they won four in a row. And that has to be when you think about, okay, he changed, he was willing to alter what he was doing. And in the past with certain coaches that have been here, they would not alter their approach no matter what was going on. He altered his approach and it, we saw results and we saw distinctive results. I mean, the offense completely changed over those last four wins. Uh, they, the team was more loose. The the uh, they attacked more. Uh, you saw him trusting Rob Finnessy a lot more because obviously Finnessy was getting back to 100. percent But you know this was the, there were some significant changes that we saw and that were you could see on the floor, not just in practice. Yep. Do uh, you have time for one more? Yeah, one more is fine. Okay. Um, let's see. We got this question about who's up next in recruiting with Keon Brooks going elsewhere. We kind of already addressed this. Any good outside shooting grad transfers or impact recruits out there? I mean, we're looking at Harlan Beverly. You've got guys like Lester Quinones, Trey Mitchell, Indiana has is in his final six. Those are the guys in the class of 29. There's going to be a lot of grad transfers. 
So we have to wait and see on those. Indiana doesn't appear to be the leader for any of the guys in the class of 2019. But we'll Beverly see. is a big fan of what he saw when he was uh, when he was on his was it official visit. I think it was when we were there. Yeah. Uh, he was a big fan of what he saw. I don't know if that's going to be enough to to pull him away from other schools. Yeah. Um, but he he is he is a big fan of, of what he's seen lately. Uh, I think he was one of those guys who was hoping Keon Brooks wouldn't commit, so there would be a spot for him. That said, Indiana might wait for the transfer portal portal to open and say maybe we can get more from a transfer than than another young guy because it's going to be again a very young team next year and they also want to have scholarships open for 2020 as well yep okay so let's end with this one uh this is from aaron uh he says archie seems to be really good at picking teams up off the mat both seasons he's been here when teams have looked lost he's more or less turned things around between the decent big 10 slate last season after horrible non-conference and the four game win streak this year when all looked lost which is true, although it took a little while for that to happen this year. So we were on the mat for quite a few weeks there. Uh, but he said, uh, within games, the team never seems to quit when they get down big. Other than the 2015-16, or other than 2015-16, it seemed that when Tom Crean lost the team or they faced adversity, they folded. But with Archie, they can correct it and repoint the compass in the right direction for the most part. I think there's some truth there. It's an oversimplification, I think. Yes. There's, 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 but there's, there's a nugget of truth there, I think. And he wants to know why is this? I have my well, reasons. What do you think? Well, I think that Archie, as a player, that's the kind of guy he was, was a fighter. And he was, uh, you know, because you could say that about Tom Crean, but Tom Crean's teams played phenomenally when they were underdogs, almost always. And, and so there was that bulldog mentality where they were just not going to be pushed around by teams they were supposed to lose to. The problem was they lost at teams they were even with or should have beaten a lot. Um, I think with Archie, it's just an attitude and a style, and he's very uh, gruff and and you know upfront with guys, and he's very forward with them. And when things go badly, he's going to tell them why they're going bad. He's not going to sugarcoat things, and I think that helps guys sort of understand. There's not going to be flowery language. There's not going to be you know philosophical. Uh, you're not going to hear him waxing about philosophy. He's going to tell you exactly what's wrong and exactly how to fix it. And um, I, I just think that that's what you get with a guy like him. And I also think he's willing to change his methods to get different results if things aren't going well. And I, I think what we're going to see from Archie long-term as a coach, because by the way, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. You talk to anybody in that program, they're, they're on Archie for a long time. They think he is the guy to take Indiana back. And, and regardless of the results this year and last year, they think he's the guy. And, and they think that he's building something special. Um, what I will say is that I think that he needs to identify those problems quicker. I think you're, you, you hit something on the head when you said that he was so worried about winning individual games that he wasn't building something and it kind of got away from him at one point this season. He's also a guy who's going to learn from that and he's going to look at every element of this season. And he's as disappointed this team isn't in the NCAA tournament as anybody. Trust me on that. Um, so I think that, 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 that's what I see. I see a guy who's willing to change and willing to be, you know, kind of work within, he, he has a system and he wants to stick to the system, but he's willing to sort of, you know, find what works and, and take it, it take out what doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, and I think there's a certain, uh, look, I mean, you know, comparing the, the two regimes, you know, is only going to really go on, I think for so long, it's still somewhat relevant because yeah, you've got the, because you've got the overlap of players and it's still fresh in the mind. You have to remember that, you know, the two 
programs were kind of built on different ideals and on different foundations, whereas Archie's is very much about being defensive-minded and tough-minded, and Tom Crean's was very much offense-oriented and in a lot of ways driven by you know how well the team was shooting the three-pointer. Now, that's how a lot of basketball is played these days. Yep. But, it, you know, so again, I, I, I think the premise of the question is a little bit flawed only because of what we saw from Archie this year. I mean, the team was on the map for a long time. But I do think as we move forward, and I think we saw it some last year, and I think this is part of why they were able to get up off the mat in you know late February, was that defensive identity you know, allowed them to have some consistent play long enough until the offense kind of got going to start winning, you know, because you saw the seeds of the improvement before they actually started winning the games. Yeah. It was like, damn, like we played hard enough to win this game. Our offense was just awful. And yep. like you need both. Don't get me wrong. Like you cannot have an elite, even a good program if you're just going to be all one sided. So the offense clearly has to be better. But, you know, the the identity on defense, I think that's more fully installed now after this year. It'll be more after years three and four. But at that point, Archie, I think, will also be able to put more emphasis on offense. A lot of these pack line programs, you see the first couple of years, the defense improves greatly, the offense stagnates or gets worse, and then it catches up years three, four, and five. And I think that's because you have to emphasize the defense so much early, especially if you're turning the culture around. Yeah, so, I think that's completely fair. Yeah, and I think that's that's what's always going to be the this program's rudder under Archie Miller, unless he well, drastically also, changes his approach, which I don't. Let's think also remember that last Tom Crean team that really turned itself around was a veteran team. Yeah, there was a lot of guys on that roster who played a lot of minutes, and they helped along with that process. And Archie has a very young team this year, and it took a long time for anyone to step up and help with that process of of turning the season around. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So you are not going to be there with us tomorrow night. If Indiana Sadly, can get no. past, if Indiana be... can get past the first week of NIT play, though, you will be back for some post game yes. shows. What uh, What time is tip off tomorrow night? Seven o'clock Eastern. Yeah, I will be in the air somewhere over Ohio. I think. Nice. Heading to New York. So uh, yeah, it's a work thing. I'm not taking a pleasure trip at this time of the season. I would not have. Uh, You're not sitting out. That. Not sitting out to protect no, your NBA and I, draft I stock. And I wouldn't plan. I wouldn't plan a trip the week of the NCAA tournament. Come on, guys. I'm. I want to be right there on that couch, right over there for all of it. But no, it's a work thing. Um, some of you have seen the stuff in the news about our website, so we will be flying to New York and meeting with not the assembly call. The website that you were no for. the website yeah. I work for the big lead. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I will be out. I will be gone from tomorrow through Friday, but I will be back after that. So you could be back for the second round game because the second round games are played sometime between Thursday and Sunday. Like it's, it's yes from the 21st to the 25th. So if it's yeah. a weekend game, uh, then could you be might back. Be there. For that. Awesome. All well, right, guys. As always, thanks for being here, Ryan. It's great of to course. have you. And I promise we won't say anything on Tuesday about I'm sure you won't. No. Yeah. We, ne we never do that. Bye, guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, coming up on the assembly call, it's going to be time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy, I think. Uh, if he's here, we're going to reflect on Indiana's loss to Ohio State and then discuss how the selection committee treated the Big Ten with this year's bracket. Or I'll do my St. Francis preview. You'll have to tune in to find out. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Uh, each week here in our final segment, we preview Indiana's upcoming opponent for this week. Yes, 
I said our final segment because I don't think Mike Corsi is coming. And I'm going to assume that this was a communication error on my part because Mike, ever since he started joining us on Banner Monday, has been incredibly reliable, always here, on time, when he is you know, supposed to be here. Um, and I also had to send him a new link for Zoom to join. It's possible he didn't get that if he didn't check his Twitter direct messages. So who may actually have been trying to use the other link, although he probably would have direct messaged me if that's the case, so maybe that didn't happen. Either way... I'm I'm chalking this up to myself and probably some kind of communication error on my part because Mike DeCourcy is awesome and professional and I can't imagine he wouldn't be here uh, for any other reason. So if he comes on, then we'll switch to our Big Ten Roundup. If not, I do have what I think is a pretty interesting preview of this St. Francis game uh, on Tuesday. And so I want to get to some of these things because obviously there are reasons to be optimistic and this is a game that Indiana should win and should win comfortably, but there are a few things to be concerned about. And so I want to talk about those first, just, you know, kind of the basics here, Indiana, obviously the number one seed, St. Francis, the number eight seed, they are 261st in Ken Palm. So not a highly regarded team. Okay. They're out of the Northeast conference. They tied for the regular season uh, conference title, won it by a tiebreaker. They lost in their conference tournament to Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, and Fairleigh Dickinson actually happens to be the best win they had all season. And Fairleigh Dickinson ranked 208th uh, in the country. So they did, uh, let me pull their profile up here. They did play uh, you know, several big teams in the non-conference. They played Buffalo, they played UCLA, they played North Carolina, they played Virginia Tech. They lost all of those games. None of them were close. Uh, in fact, Virginia Tech held them to 37 points uh, and doubled them up. So, I mean, when they did play better competition, they didn't fare well. Uh, and a big part of that is because, you know, they're a small team. Um, they just, they don't have a lot of size, even the height that they have. They've got a guy inside who's 6'9", but he's also 195 pounds. So they are not a big team. And so when you're going up against some of the bigger, more athletic teams in the country, it stands to reason that you would have some troubles there and... That is obviously what has happened, and that is going to be Indiana's biggest advantage, with the Hoosier, which the Hoosiers absolutely positively must take advantage of and should. And this is why you should have a lot of confidence in this game, because I don't know what kind of answer fair, or, uh, uh, St. Francis is going to have for Juwan Morgan. I don't know what kind of answer they're going to have for Deron Davis. Those two guys should absolutely feast down low, and frankly, Romeo Langford should as well. I mean, I haven't watched film on these guys, so I don't know how good their guards are at keeping uh, perimeter guys out of the lane. But what I do know is that numbers-wise, they are terrible defensively. They are 330th in adjusted defensive efficiency. They are terrible at two-point defense, which at one time was a big strength for Indiana and should be again in this game. So they're they're not going to block shots. You know, it certainly doesn't seem like they're a team that keeps guys out of the lane if they're giving up that kind of uh, two-point percentage. And so Indiana needs to go back to that advantage. You know, guys like Al Durham need to not settle for threes and explode to the basket. Same thing with Romeo Langford. And every single possession should run through Duran and Juwan in the post because those guys will either score or if St. Francis decides to sell out and try and double those guys, which they'll probably need to do to stop them at all, then there should be open shooters. And Indiana has been a team that is much better in those kind of catch-and-shoot three-point opportunities when the ball goes inside out as opposed to the pull-up threes or just firing it around the perimeter. So if Indiana comes out with the right mindset, if they're committed to playing offense the way that they should be playing, they should get a good shot pretty much every time down and score 80, 90 points. That it's, if, and if it's anything other than that, I think that's a pretty good sign that this team 
came out with kind of a lackadaisical mindset. And that, to me, if you start looking at keys to victory, no question, undeniably, that's the number one key to victory. Approach the game with a competitive, locked-in mindset. There is not a chance that Archie Miller isn't telling them the exact same things about what they need to be doing offensively. It's just a matter of if they're going to do it. And if they do, they're going to score a ton of points. Okay. So that's the biggest thing. Okay. That that's their, you know, their biggest weakness. That's where Indiana has their biggest advantage. Now, if this is going to be a game, if it's going to be closer than any of us want, why will that be? Well, the number one reason will be that Indiana just doesn't come out with the right mindset. But even if Indiana doesn't come out with the right mindset, they may still win the game by, you know, 10, 12, 13 points. All right. I'm going to pause right here. We'll get back to this. But there is something that, uh, that St. Francis does offensively that could give Indiana some trouble. And I will get to that, but Mike DeCourcy is here. And so we're going to bring him on right now and get to our Big Ten segment. <laughs> here we go. And Mr. DeCourcy is here. Although he's on the phone right now. So he's muted. So uh, what that is, is three-point shooting. That is, this, you know, that is what St. Francis can do. They're not an elite three-point shooting team, okay? But they do have four guys who can fill it up and can get hot. And when Indiana has had poor performances at home with surprising results, that's what happened. I'm going to dig into those numbers a little bit more here uh, once we're done talking with Mike. But that is definitely something to look at. Mr. DeCourcy. How are you, Jared? Sorry, I was late, uh, juggling a lot on Selection Monday. I can I can imagine. Hey, no problem. I was just delving into a super detailed scouting report on St. Francis, so I have to imagine that all fans are glad that you're here to rescue them from okay. uh, <laughs> over analysis on Indiana's first round NIT matchup. Okay, so how are you? How how are you handling the aftermath of Selection Sunday? Have, did you get some sleep? Or are you, you feeling okay? Not a lot. Uh, I believe I wrote about 5,500 words. Uh, I, I, the, my, this is how it went. I, selection show comes up. I do a, a series of, uh, of bracket reactions for uh, Big Ten and beyond. I get in a cab. I go to Chipotle. I shove two tacos in my mouth. I walk to my hotel. I, you know, I change into some pajamas, and then I sit on the couch, and I write 5,500 words. And honestly... I would have stopped at about 4,400 4, or so, just do my region break, breakdowns. Uh, and I had the column on Michigan State and the absurdity of their bracket placement in, in my head, and I thought, maybe I won't write it. And then I went on Twitter for a moment, and I saw Bernard Muir, the athletic director at, athletic director at, Cincinnati, at uh, Stanford, excuse me, and the chairman of the committee, his reasoning on why they were placed there. And I'm like, oh man, you're making me do this, aren't you? You're going to make me stay up another hour and write this. Because it was so ridiculous uh, for them to say that they don't pay attention to matchups. They pay attention to getting you closest to home. Well, why don't we have eight, 10 travel agents in there instead of people who are purporting to spend the entire winter studying teams for the for the sake of putting together the best possible NCAA tournament. Why don't we just have 10 travel agents? I mean, because that's, because that's what they're saying, that it's all about close to home. And it's not even, let's be realistic. Washington, D.C. is not close to Michigan. It's just another place you have to travel to. We're talking about a literal difference 
of 120 miles. 120 miles be difference between going to DC and going to KC. I looked it up. Basically, no difference in airfare for for that weekend from one from East Lansing to KC, East Lansing to DC. And if you think about it, if you drive, it would probably take ordinarily another hour and 45 minutes to get to KC as opposed to DC. But those of us who've driven to or through DC can tell you there's an hour and a half worth of traffic waiting for you when you get there. So it's basically the same. Mm-hmm. What they've done is a crime against logic. It's There's no logical reason to seed the teams one to 68 and then tell us, forget what we're telling you because 120 miles means more than which is the most reasonable matchup. I think everybody listening to this is going to agree with you because, and for anybody who doesn't know or hasn't been paying attention, it put Michigan State with Duke. Duke and Duke was the number one overall seed. Michigan State supposedly the number one two seed, but now they get kind of that unfavorable draw because of supposedly saving on travel, which I suppose like if everybody was hitchhiking or I saw someone tweet, you know, if people were going by horse and buggy, maybe yes. that would be <laughs> that would be a little bit more reasonable. But uh, in the in modern day travel, really not that big of a deal, as you said. The funny thing, I, that was tweeted to me and I retweeted it because like I got like four great lines thrown at me and I'm like, hey, I was up at like two o'clock in the morning last night. Where were you people? You could have written this thing for me. <laughs> so I do want to talk a little bit about Indiana's performance against Ohio State. I know you have to go way back in the uh, in your mind oh, to probably remember that that fantastic game, but we'll we'll save that for the end. But sticking with that topic, I mean, Michigan State, you know, it seems kind of got the short end of the stick. Do you feel like the Big Ten was disrespected a little bit uh, in terms of how this how the seating went? You know, teams like Indiana not getting in. Like, do you do you get any of that, or do you think that the Big Ten was treated fairly by the selection committee overall? I, I honestly think if you look at the seedings, that uh, I don't think that they were treated badly. First of all, they got more teams in the field than any other conference. They deserved more teams, but they got them. Uh, I don't see a ma- major difference with anybody's seeding. Uh, I you could say okay, Michigan, and it does make a huge difference because. If Michigan State had been the number one two seed as opposed to Tennessee, then they would be in Louisville uh, as opposed to D.C. where Duke is uh, because, again, geographic preference. And actually, that although that's not an easy drive, it's drivable. I mean, I believe that would be somewhere in the neighborhood of six hours from from East Lansing uh, to Louisville. And I've driven from Cincinnati to East Lansing, it took me four, four and a half. And, um, and Louisville's another 90 minutes to two hours down the road south. So it's doable. Uh, and, and so why were they behind Tennessee? Well, it came down to this. Even though Tennessee won no championships and lost two games in which they could have clinched championships, uh, and Michigan won, Michigan State won two championships and won the games in which they could clinch those two championships, didn't back into anything. They they emphasized Michigan State's bad losses or non-field losses because I think it's harsh to call Indiana a bad loss, but it is a non-field loss. Uh, I don't believe Tennessee had any of those, mm. uh, and I think they emphasized that more. You, you know, it's different flavors of ice cream. Okay, fine. But that's why the emphasis on geography is so preposterous because the difference 
in those two things, Louisville versus D.C., Virginia versus Duke. Is Virginia great? Yes. Do you have to deal with two lottery picks? The first two guys that are going to go in the draft, the best college basketball player of this season, maybe of the last five or six, not at Virginia, you don't. So that's why that emphasis on geography is so preposterous because it compounds that decision-making process. Very close call here becomes a very enormous penalty. And then, and as well, Michigan, which lost those two championship games to Michigan State, winds up with a reward. Do they have to get on a plane and sit there for three and a half hours? Yeah. But they also get to go out west where the team that has played the least demanding competition over the course of the last two months awaits in their, in their first game. And whether or not you think Gonzaga is better than the committee says, this is what the committee says. They say Gonzaga is less than Carolina, Virginia, and Duke. So the, the logic would say that would be the matchup you'd want. And instead, that becomes the reward for, and this is a harsh word, failing twice in the biggest games. As you look at the Big Ten teams that made the tournament and their draws, how many do you? How many Big Ten teams do you expect to still be there on the second weekend of the tournament? I know, you know, I have, I, I expect four. I mean, I, I picked four. I expect three. Hmm. One of mine that I have surviving is Maryland. That's based on a lack of trust in the other teams in their region. I don't trust Maryland a whole lot more than I trust them. I trust Maryland with Anthony Cowan playing and an engaged brand of basketball a lot, yeah. but I haven't seen that in a while. Uh, so uh, yeah, I have them beating LSU because of, everybody knows what their circumstance is. Yeah. I, I just not buying them. Um, and then I have Michigan I have Michigan going away. I have Michigan state uh, going away, but then running into Duke, yeah. unfortunately. And then I have Purdue. I have them, I have them in the elite eight and, I think they'd be an interesting matchup with Virginia. That's I'm not thrilled about the matchups, the teams that were placed in this in the South region. That's the region that's closest to my home, so that's where I'm going to go. Not thrilled with that, but if I can get Purdue versus Virginia, I can get excited about that. Purdue is going to be such an interesting case because I mean, if Carson Edwards gets hot, they could pretty much beat anybody, but he could shoot them right out of their first round game if he's not careful. You know, so I mean, that's that they're going to be a really interesting case, I think, in the to watch in this tournament. I, you know, I will be very interested to see if Matt coaches him differently in those games. I mean, it's given him a lot of free reign, and, and I understand why, because they're trying to get him back. Uh, they won a conference championship, even with him not shooting the basketball well, almost with only a few exceptions uh, in the final 10, 11 games. Yeah. Uh, they were 8-2 and two down the stretch, and I think probably he had maybe two good games in that stretch. Others, it, from in terms of shooting the basketball, he did other things, but in terms of shooting the basketball, he had eight and nine really difficult games. Uh, I wonder if the uh, the direction will be stronger when every law, any loss could mean the end of your season. Hmm. I want to ask you about Michigan State because Indiana dealt with a lot of injuries this year and, and you know, it was a big topic of conversation, obviously, and for good reason. But it's interesting that we just saw Michigan State win the Big Ten regular season and tournament titles despite significant injuries to two of its three most talented and experienced players in Joshua Langford and Nick Ward. 
And I'm wondering what lesson, if any, we should take from this and how they handled this season, besides that it's good to have a Hall of Fame coach and All-American point guard to kind of hold it all together. Because that's that's the obvious lesson, right? But is there anything yeah. else, is there anything else that Michigan State did, adjustments that they made that really helped them weather these injuries that maybe a team like Indiana could have made when they were going through their injury issues? Honestly, I think that the lesson is be deep. I mean, that's kind of because think about it. Okay. So you lose Langford. Well, now you have Kyle Arns. Okay. You lose Arns. Now you have Aaron Henry. Uh, you, you, so you lose Nick Ward. Xavier Tillman actually makes you better. I mean, they, when, when Nick Ward went out, they became a better basketball team. They would not have won the championship, I believe, if Nick Ward were their starting center in the, in the clutch games that they won. Uh, I don't believe they would have. They weren't as good defensively without him. What he gave them on offense, I don't think made up for it. I do think that as a compliment now, uh, a very physical player who can deal with other physical players uh, a, a guy who can still go into the low post and back you down and and get a bucket, uh, depending on the matchup. A guy who can run the floor, which I didn't see enough in uh, in in Chicago. I think that's something he still can add. So he he can make you better. But Xavier Tillman is an excellent defender. Doesn't do anything he can't do. Uh, really fights for offensive rebounds and 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 when he gets the ball down low, really fights to score. Doesn't doesn't relent mentally you see guys big guys they're they're down low they got the ball there's a guy with them they can't shake him they give up they throw it you know they basically make the move it's like whatever happens happens we'll live with it he doesn't do that he's he's either he's either making the decision of how he can get the guy up and and get fouled or how he can get past them or he's giving up on the ball he's passing out and doing something and starting over again a lot of big guys are so determined once they get that ball deep it's going up regardless that it winds up getting swatted back or they wind up forcing the uh, ball through what they think is going to be a block and it, they wind up going long. Xavier, Xavier Tillman does not do that. He doesn't make that mistake. And that's a huge difference in their team. So let's talk about Indiana and their, their performance against Ohio State, which a lot of people kind of looked at as a play out game. It certainly went that way as so Ohio State made it. Indiana didn't. The irony, as we talked about earlier, is given the selection committee's apparent criteria, if Indiana just hadn't played that game and it ended with 14 losses, they might have gotten in the tournament, <laughs> given how they were looking at it. But, you know, that was a, just a weird game. I mean, Indiana didn't come out and play very well early. You know, I thought Ohio State's maturity and toughness really bothered Indiana. And then, you know, Devontae Green went nuclear there at the end and kind of made it a game. What were your takeaways from that performance by Indiana? I knew within the first, I don't know, I'm going to say, just so I'm not exaggerating, I'll say within the first five minutes, because I think I knew quicker than that. But just so I make sure that I'm encapsulating, I did not see the level of compete in that game in those first five minutes that I had in the three, four previous games that they won. They were a totally different team. They were the team that, that we had seen too often in January and February. And it was really disappointing to see. I, I, I was just flabbergasted watching it. I, I, was, I, I thought they were done being that team. Uh, and I, I, the, I thought the Rutgers game was such an emphatic statement. We really want this. Mm -hmm. we, we really want this. We're going for this. And then to come out against Ohio State. And like if, if, it, if they had played 
hard and smart for 10 minutes. And Ohio State was just so good and so together and so difficult to penetrate. And they gave up mentally at that point. Maybe I can understand. They gave up mentally within the first, like I said, within the first five minutes. I saw plays that suggested to me, indicated to me that they didn't want to be there. Uh, And I was just I was knocked back. I just, I'm still astonished at, ha- at what I saw because I thought that that, I thought that was gone from that team. Uh, and it's, and it's frustrating for the coaches going to the off season now because they know that the problems that existed for much of the season uh, and that seemed to be eradicated when they got to the stretch run and beat Wisconsin played so wonderfully against Illinois and Rutgers the, and you know, obviously they they pulled out the second Michigan State game to get the sweep. I think they thought that maybe they were making progress there. And now they know that they're not all the way there. And now they have to decide how do we get this team, how do we get particular players to buy in? And how will we know if they have, if it can turn that quickly? And that's a real problem for them going forward because they have a lot of good components coming back. They have a lot of good components coming in and they're going to have to decide how to make sure that, uh, that their roster is cohesive and productive going into next year, because you don't want to repeat of the kinds of issues that you had throughout 2018, 19. To what do you attribute? what you saw in that first half against Ohio state, because, you know, I think, you know, you do, you ha- you're relying on a backcourt of two freshmen and a sophomore against a very experienced Ohio state backcourt. And I thought from, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, from early on, you could tell that, you know, Rob Finnessy, Romeo Langford, they're very talented players, but they haven't developed that tough mindedness that Keyshawn Woods and CJ Jackson have. And they just kind of took us out of what we wanted to do and all the careless turnovers. I mean, it was, there was certainly a lack of, of focus for whatever reason, but do you attribute it to just to the inconsistencies of a young team and facing a very mature team, you know, or do you think it's something deeper than that? No, I think it's, I think, I think it's deeper than that. Uh, I think that there's uh I, I think that within particular players, there is a uh, there is a, a a lack of buy-in for 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 lack of a better term. It it just isn't there, and and it hasn't been there in, in for the greater majority of the time that that season went on. And I don't know how you do deal with that. Uh, I think you have to make your decision. Um, about moving forward and try to try to be emphatic with with those particular guys that you got to be on board or, or we can't move forward. But the problem, the conundrum for Indiana is that I don't think they can have enough functional bodies um, if one or two of those guys that you're having trouble with decide that you're more trouble than you're worth. Uh, so I don't. They're real. It's a it's a real predicament. It, and uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly how one deals with that. Uh, it, it, so in a lot of places, they would go out and they would recruit eight guys and just turn it over. That, it, obviously, that's not the way Indiana wants to do business. It's not the kind of program they want to be. It's not typical of the Big Ten. It's not typical of the, of the kind of program prestige that Indiana carries. So it's it, so the, the challenge is you have to try to find a way to reach the players you have. 
And, and that's, you know, and that's been an issue throughout 2018, 19, and that will linger into the off season until we, you know, until we get back uh, and, and start doing this all over again. Now you've mentioned the off season a couple of times. It does feel like the off season is here, but the Hoosiers do have some NIT games coming up. Um, <laughs> now I'm, I'm guessing you haven't given the NIT much thought since, uh, since no, the selection show. I, I will admit uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, they, the, uh, I know that it's really big for the, for the beat writers that cover those teams to have to be on top of that. I, I, I only ever had to cover the NIT once. Um, and it's a great story because um, the coach of the team I was covering, Paul Evans at that point at Pittsburgh, uh, was getting a lot of heat. And they got shipped to Penn State to play a NIT first-round game. And it was kind of one of those games you felt like it was a trap, that if they, if they went up and got smoked at Penn State, that people might start trying to make a move on Evans. And I didn't want that because I didn't want to have to cover a coaching search. And I liked Paul. So uh, they went up and they beat Penn State. Okay, that's good. So then they get a second round home game against Florida on Monday of Sweet 16 week. And if they win that game, then they're going to Purdue. I am scheduled to leave for the East region on Wednesday, the day they would be scheduled to go to Purdue. So now back in my mind, I need them to lose that game. (laughs) But it can't be ugly because that stuff might start again and they might have to cover coaching search and I'm still going to have my week screwed up. So they play, you know, it goes back and forth, back and forth. I think they're down 75, 73 or 76, 73, something like that. Sean Miller, now the coach at Arizona, brings the ball down. He's the pit point guard, gets it to around midcourt. Buzzer's about ready to go. I think it, I think it was a legit three. So he may have taken from 35 feet, something like that. It may have been a little further out. can't remember exactly. Ball hits off the back of the uh, rim, bounces away. Game's over. I don't have to go to Purdue. So I get in the car. Next day, drive to Philly. Three days later, I'm sitting courtside when Christian Leitner makes that shot. Wow. So if, it, so if, if Sean Miller had made his, I may have missed the Leitner shot. So oh. that was the best. That, that's the best, NI, that's ex, best experience anybody's ever had in the NIT Barna. Well, let me, let me ask you this about the opportunity that Indiana has, because obviously last year, Penn State was in the NIT. They were very disappointed to not you know, make the NCAA tournament. They end up winning the thing, and you often hear, hey, you can build momentum into next season, you know, springboard you into next year. Penn State you know, starts off this year with a thud. Uh, obviously, I mean, they had a good non-conference win against Virginia Tech, but then they lose their first 10 games before surging at the end and actually finishing higher than Indiana in Ken Palm. You know, how how important do you think that it could be for Indiana to make a run? And how destructive could it be if they end with a whimper? Or is that kind of already baked into this season and it wouldn't make that much of a difference at this point? Yeah, they have a chance to change their narrative. And and the difference between them and Penn State is if Tony Carr had decided to return to Penn State, their season might this year might have been different. Uh, it certainly would have been different. Um, might have... Might have been more successful, and certainly the momentum they carried out of last year's NIT would have been more impactful. When you when you lose a, a key player like that, okay, they return the front court, but then there was no connector there. Yeah, and so it, it the ball where the ball starts is the most important part of the team, and they lost that, and so it didn't really matter what they did a year ago. They had to start all over again in the backcourt, and I think they started in the wrong place. That Jamari Wheeler as a starter by the end of the year. They were a better basketball team, and Rasheer Bolton uh, coming off the bench gave them a real dynamic pop. And 
they'd hit on that earlier might have been a different season. Um, but uh, Indiana has Robert Finnessy back next year. They have uh, Al Durham back next year. They have Devontae Green back next year. They, they won't have Romeo, but they have a lot of guys back that can make difference. And they get a chance maybe to use Race Thompson a little bit more in this deal than they were before. Play, play St. Francis, you got to be able to get Race Thompson on the floor for some minutes for that one. Uh, that kind of thing. So they can, they can make some progress with what they have. They can make progress in the practices that they'll have for as long as they last in this event. And I, I do think that they, they have an opportunity uh, to build where, where the Penn State's experience wound up being a good one in terms of being able to you know, win some games, have some fun, go to the garden, all that. Um, but it wasn't productive for them moving forward. Last question for you. We've heard a lot of talk since the selection show about the impact of the 20-game schedule on the Big Ten and how it might have been a hindrance when it came to you know certain teams like Indiana maybe you know having an opportunity to get a couple more wins if they don't have those two Big Ten games. Your thoughts on that? Has anything changed about your thoughts on the 20-game the schedule? I don't think it hurt. I really don't. Um, you know, Indiana could have got more wins, maybe had a little bit more room between them and the, font and the, uh, and the bubble. I mean, them in 500, um, but uh, no, they were 12 and two in non-league. I, I think that they, all they had to do really was play better against teams that they were capable of beating. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it didn't hurt Michigan State. It, the timing of the, of the conference final didn't hurt Michigan State. Do I think that they lost to Indiana and Illinois because they played 20 games instead of 18? No, I just don't think they played very well in those games. I don't think they got more guys hurt because of that. They got, cause, cause Josh got hurt in non-league uh, in during the non-league season. So I, you know, more team, more leagues will play 20 next year. I know ACC is going to that. Um, and, and that, so it probably at least will even things out a little bit. You got a lot of challenges you're in uh, good or bad. I don't know. Um, because that, you know, you got 20 league games. Now you get, now you're up to 22 high majors. Or if you're in both Gavin and ACC, it, it really does start to pile up on you. You play an MTE. And if you get two high majors there, now you're up to 24. I, I remember going back to Pitt that year I was talking about. And I believe when I, when they got done, they played 31 games and 27 were against what would be the equivalent of high majors. That team was completely wrung out. These guys aren't pros. Um, you know, it, it you, you kind of need to be able to take a break uh, against some, you know, some uh, St. Francis's, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, that, and so I, I do think that they have to watch what kind of games they schedule non-conference. You have to be very careful when you're in, when you're in the 20 game universe. Or we need Rutgers to go back to being the old Rutgers. <laughs> Who told them they could be top 75? <laughs> that would be helpful for everybody else, but not so helpful for no, Rutgers. No, I don't not... think you're seeing that. Uh, got a point guard coming in next year, people like. Uh, got a got good a coach. Got a good coach, man. Very good coach. Uh, okay, full disclosure. Will you watch Indiana St. Francis <laughs> on Tuesday when night? Is the game? It's, it's Tuesday night. Tomorrow night, you know, 7 o'clock Eastern. I would suspect that what I will do is that I will DVR it and I will watch it as I work out on Wednesday morning. That's my suspicion. Oh, that's good. Okay. So we can ask you questions about it next week. Absolutely. Okay. Very good. Well, Mike, I appreciate you being here, especially after uh, 
quite the busy schedule. It's always great getting your insight, and uh, we look forward to talking with you more as both tournaments come through. We have two tournaments to talk about now. Absolutely. How, how fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Enjoy. Yep. Thanks, Mike. All right. The great Mike DeCourcy, our weekly Big Ten Roundup. So glad that he was able to join us this week. Um, all right. I can get back to what I was talking about with St. Francis. Um, I know that you've just been on pins and needles to hear more about the St. Francis preview, but I do have just a couple of other things that I want to say. You know, we talked about keys to victory, approaching the game with a competitive locked in mindset, you know, attack the paint because they are terrible. One of the worst in the country at defending twos. So don't settle for outside shots. Here's the biggest the reason why this game is going to be closer than it should be is that St. Francis gets hot from the three-point line, all right? They have four guys, all right? Wolford, Blackman, King, and Braxton that shoot 33% or better on a high volume of attempts. Think three or more attempts per game, all right? If you look at their their biggest win of the year against Fairleigh Dickinson, they went 12 of 25 from three. Those four guys were 10 of 18. Their last game against Fairleigh Dickinson in the tournament, they lost it, but those guys went 12 of 23 from downtown. Well, overall, they were 12 of 23. Those four guys were 10 of 20. All right, so their offensive two-point percentage is 46.8%. It's 296th. They are not a team that is going to score a lot at the rim. I told you they've got the center that's 6'9", 195 pounds. Their power forward, oh, he's a good player. I think that's Braxton. He leads them in scoring, leads them in rebounding, but he's 6'5", 208. All right, so he's not a big guy. We should be able to defend them inside, all right? But my fear, if I have any fear about this game, it's if we're not locked in defensively, the one thing that we have seen is we can be a little leaky in terms of defending the three-point line. Now, you're not going to see that in the overall numbers. Indiana's three-point defense for the year, very good. It was top 100, all right? In terms of allowing attempts, we were right there middle of the pack. And toward the end of the season, we were really good defending the three. But you think back to the Minnesota game, you think back to some other performances, we're susceptible every now and then to just being leaky around there. And so if that happens, and if they get hot, and you know the, you get that weird energy in Assembly Hall, I don't need to remind you of recent games where that's happened, that's my only fear, because they do bring in guys who aren't afraid to shoot it, and none of them are lights-out shooters, none of them are 40%, you know, uh, Wolford is 36.9%, that's the highest. But that's my only fear. So we've really got to be locked in. The guards are going to have to, you know, obviously stick with their guys. Our rotations need to be on point. No late closeouts, no lazy closeouts. Really make them put it on the floor. I mean, I say overplay them on the three-point line. Run them off the three-point line. Trust your help defense. Trust the fact that they're just not great finishers at the rim. And, you know, even a guy like Race Thompson in a game like this can be a rim protector because he's because he's not huge. But he's bigger than the guys that they have and tougher than the guys that they have. So that's that's a key. Pay attention to detail. Stay connected on the three-point line because that's the one place where if this St. Francis team gets hot, they could do some damage. Now, they didn't shoot the three particularly well. Those four games against good teams that I told you about in the non-conference schedule, they didn't shoot particularly well in those games. So I'm guessing that, you know, major conference length and athleticism probably bothers those guys a lot on the perimeter but still, they're shooters. They can shoot them. We've got to make sure that we're connected on that end of the court. The other thing to, to think about, and this has been a key for this team all year, is just avoid silly foul trouble. They do have three guys who draw 4.5 or more fouls per 40 minutes. Now, 
that number is not adjusted. So that's, you know, in their own conference, they're drawing those fouls. It's going to be a little bit different at Indiana, you know, and, and against our size, but you know, that, that's, that's an issue. Uh, Braxton, the guy I told you about earlier, he's not a big guy, but he does draw contact. So, you know, guys like Juwan Morgan, especially early in the game, again, why we need to be locked in and attentive. Don't want to pick up any early fouls, you know, because you don't want a guy like Juwan Morgan to have to sit. You don't want, uh, to you know, allow St. Francis to just build some momentum, you know, get some easy points from the free throw line. Make them make shots, <laughs> you know, run them off the line and then make them try to drive on you and make shots and defend them well because they're not going to make a living there. So if Indiana does that and just plays solid defense again, this is a game they, they're favored by about 20. I think the Ken Palm prediction, yeah, 82 to 62. That's how this game should go. It'll just depend on which Indiana team shows up. Hopefully, it's the one that's locked in and ready to go. And if so, we will move on and go on to the second round to face Providence or Arkansas. And in case you didn't hear, we talked, we mentioned it earlier, Daniel Gafford of Arkansas is not going to play uh, in the NIT as he starts to prepare for his professional career. So if Arkansas does win that game, Gafford is the guy who killed us more than any other in that Arkansas game. He wouldn't be there. But let's take care of business against St. Francis first. Hopefully, the Hoosiers do that. And then we'll have another game to talk about afterwards. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of Banner Monday. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons, as long as the season is still going uh, for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk with you Tuesday night after IU St. Francis. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate... Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. Oh, that looks expensive. Now this is an insurance moment. But three's got it covered. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three, no nonsense, just common sense. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. Oh, that looks expensive. Now this is an insurance moment. But three's got it covered. 
Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three, no nonsense, just common sense. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 